Welcome back to the Women in the Business Arena podcast. Every week we dive into juicy topics for women navigating the business arena, leadership, and their personal self-development. We reframe business and life with a more feminine lens to help women find more fulfillment, freedom, and success. I'm your host, Sonia Statman, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely and beautiful co-host, Laura Schutt-Guzman. Today, we thought we would you know, continue to talk about these times that we're in because I think it's very relevant to what we're all experiencing. And today, we thought we would kind of talk about the idea of grief. I think a lot of people are grieving. There's a lot of collective grief in the world. And I think it's very related to what a lot of us are dealing with right now. And you know, the weird thing about grief is that a lot of people don't talk about it. They don't really address it. And so, yeah, we thought we would explore it and talk about why it's relevant to you. Yeah. I was uh, on a call the other day with a group of my colleagues and, you know, one said, if you haven't already been impacted um, by a loss, you know, related to COVID, you most likely will. And are we really prepared for that? You know? And so if we talk about that grief and loss of our loved ones, you know, there's the fear of losing people we love. And um, as a culture, we have so much trepidation and fear around death and loss. And yes, as human beings, that is pervasive. But I think more so in our culture, in the Western world, where there's very much a need to hold on to what we can see and like what we can understand and we love control and certainty. And so it's just interesting right now that what's happening with the global pandemic is not only are we actually experiencing a grief and loss of loved ones, there's even more there to um, reflect upon and what are we grieving as a whole what are we letting go of as a society? What structures will never be the same? Um, how will the world never quite be the same? And some people are calling us this our like the Pearl Harbor of our generation, this moment where it just feels like suddenly you're on a different trajectory. Yeah. And and I feel like, you know, like grief is is the definition is deep sorrow, right? Like it's like this deep sorrow of loss. And it is often associated with death, but I think we also don't acknowledge how it's associated with so many kinds of losses. And I feel like everyone is collectively experiencing some loss, loss of connection, loss of hugging your neighbor, loss of going to a grocery store and it being normal, right? Instead of this like weird foreign way to go to the grocery store. I mean, loss of being able to get access to what we need and want, uh, loss of our kids having the social interaction of their friends, like they're grieving, they're experiencing deep sorrow. And oftentimes we're not even allowing them to do that. Um, you know, it's coming out in bad behavior or it's coming out in defiance or it's coming out in these ways that we're trying to discipline them for, but really they're, they're feeling this deep sorrow for the loss of their routine and their, um, their way of doing things, the things they know, the things that they are connected to. And and I do feel like no one ever teaches us how to deal with grief. Like I don't remember ever being taught how to deal with grief. You know, it was more often like someone dies, you go to the funeral, you might honor them for a day, maybe a week, and then you get on with it. 
you get on with it, you do what needs to be done, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. Like we're never really taught to deal with the grief itself. Yeah. If anything, there's kind of a message of move on from it. You know, even the way that we talk about with our children, oh, they're in a better place now. And um, oh yeah, that's, you know, it's just this kind of wanting to spin it, you know, it's like, it's all good and move on. And that is often a result of our inability as adults to sit with that pain and that discomfort and then being able to talk that through with our children. Um, so we're trying to kind of move on to move out quickly from that discomfort. And unfortunately what happens when grief, like any ma- any major emotion is that if we move on too quickly from it, we're rushing away from it. We don't embody it and we don't process or integrate it. And I love actually it's Daniel Siegel that talks about he's the the father of the expression um, interpersonal neurobiology, and he defines like well being as a result of an integrated mind body. It's like integration is the key to wellness. And if you have grief that's stuck and rigid and it doesn't move and you don't process it, then you end up depressed or you end up exhausted or you end up anxious. Like all these different things can come out of that lack of integration. And so it's interesting that as a society, that that is not our norm to mirror, model, discuss, grief as a process that invites conversation and integration and experiencing the feeling. We kind of feel like we have to do it in you know, privacy alone or cut ourselves off from it altogether. Yeah. And I'm just really seeing such an interesting connection because like I talk a lot about capacity and what I've seen is that grief is one of those things that can fill up our capacity under the surface. So we we don't reckon like our life may not even be that busy and we don't understand why we feel like we're at capacity all the time or we feel exhausted or we're constantly drained. But oftentimes it's the grief that hasn't been integrated. It's the grief that we haven't ever acknowledged or really, really dealt with. And so it's like that fills up a tremendous amount of capacity. And right now what I'm seeing definitely in all my clients and, you know, in my family and myself is that this is pushing on our collective grief. So there's a couple of things. Like one way is that we're less busy and, you know, we have the opportunity to slow down. Now, not everybody is doing that, but you have the opportunity and slowing down brings all that up to the surface naturally. So then we have that that's happening where all of a sudden we're having to navigate our grief. The other thing that's happening in this time is that people's grief is being pushed on. So oftentimes grieving can be someone we lost or it can be the loss of our childhood, the loss of our innocence, right? All of these things that happened in our childhood. If you had any trauma in your childhood, then you're going to have grief and loss, you know, for that innocence, for that, you know, whatever it is that you missed in the course of creating that trauma, experiencing that trauma. And so what I'm saying as well is that this, the loss of security, the loss of certainty, the loss of routine, all of that is pushing on those old traumas and those old triggers, which are bringing up grief. And so I'm seeing almost everybody have a reflection of like some kind of grief inside them. And yet we're not understanding it, labeling it, exploring it, working with it. It's like we're just trying to tamp it down again. And so I think this is like an opportunity to really, really look at like the world, the universe, however you want to look at it, energetically has given us this opportunity to say, hey, time to deal with your collective grief. 
Exactly. And two things that you said that I want to follow up on is one, it's exactly that, that there can be layers, you know, and we call that in psychotherapy, complex grief can be where there's a traumatic experience in your younger years that you might not have fully integrated or processed. And then in your 20s, you go through a really um, challenging, say, breakup and you have all this grief and then you're finding yourself in your therapist's office thinking, this is ridiculous. Like I'm a functioning adult, but I can't function and I'm having this overreaction to this breakup. But often then when you start to work with that, you're like, oh, wait, this is much more than the present grief. This is also a chance for your psyche to now bring all of the past grief into your consciousness and work with it again and process. And so every present hurt is an opportunity to integrate past hurts. So people, some of these individuals that might be feeling like I am fine, but I'm like, oh, but for some reason I've got this weird sadness, but I'm not really that sad. I'm not that, I haven't lost anyone right now. So what's wrong with me? It's an invitation, like you said, to actually tap into old grief. And now the universe and the collective is like, here it is. Like, here it is. Why don't you work on it? It's kind of, you know, it doesn't feel like a gift, but it really is an opportunity um, and it is a gift because in the long run, your total well-being and your mental wellness will improve because if you do that integration upon layers. And then the other thing that you said, um, oh, and then well, we talked about this before we got on the call is, you know, for many people who don't know in the field of Chinese medicine. So if you have an acupuncturist, they might have shared this with you, you know, that in Chinese medicine, there is symbolism that in the lungs um, that there's often um, stuck chi, stuck energy and um, problems, diseases of the lungs are related to the emotions of grief. And yeah, this is interesting. So interesting that we have a virus that has caused a global pandemic, not just one area in the world, but all over the world, we have a virus that is specifically um, that the lungs are affected and the lungs of human beings are specifically vulnerable. Yeah. And when you think about it, I mean, it's like I can feel the emotion even in what I'm about to say. It's like when you think about it, we're grieving so much more than we logically understand. Like we're not just grieving the people we've lost or the life we've lost right now. We're grieving generationally. Like I, I've been – I got this book called The Council of the Grandmothers. Ooh, yeah, title. it's really good actually. And it's like these 13 indigenous grandmothers that got together maybe a decade ago. And I can't remember the year, but – um, and they, they, I haven't read the whole book, but they each tell their story and they each have some prophecies or some understandings of where the world is. And, and when they talk about the, the loss of the indigenous, right? Oh my, oh my, we all know the stories, but hearing the stories in this book, that's still relatable to people who experienced it or whose great grandparents experienced it and shared the stories. Like I could feel so much 
grief. I can feel so much grief for what we've lost, like the stories we've lost, the the beings and the wisdom we've lost, the the way that we've lost so many things on our planet, right? Like, you know, in in all of these things, like we have so much collective loss. And I know for myself, I constantly feel the loss of women, what we have lost in terms of our sacredness and our wisdom and, you know, all the ways that women are revered that has been taken over, um, that has been diminished for centuries. Like I can feel that loss. So sometimes we want to just sort of like, I don't know, make it like this very like tiny grief. Like this is just this grief that I'm feeling as a person because my mom died or my dad died. And those are all legitimate as well. But oftentimes we are feeling like grief of the world, of the spirit world, of the great grandmothers, of the indigenous, like in, in the whole planet has a lot of grief that we have not felt. And I think it's really interesting what's happening right now. Yes, yes. And those parallels between the work that we do as individuals and then the work that's being kind of inviting us to do that work collectively is it's just, it's by no accident, you know? And, and that is exactly what happens when we have our different layers of grief, like I was just talking about with complex grief, what we usually do is we develop addictive behaviors, we develop um, busyness, tactics, habits, um, all this type of behavior that keeps us away from the feeling. So, you know, if you think of us as a society, you think of all the pain and the hurts of genocides and um, what we've done to the planet, you know, and all those, all the things that have been deep, deep sorrow, deep losses that we have felt as even, you know, ancestrally, and we felt as human beings, we've as a society and as just like even the global citizenry, I think is like always trying to keep one step ahead of that pain by staying, um, evolving, technology advancing, you know, civilization is always ahead. You know, it's like this constant moving, moving, moving forward, emotion of always moving forward, yet an illusion that we are unstoppable because then what's happened with this virus is that it is just one of those things. Like for me, I had a loss at 30 that I had to deal with a loss that I had at 16 and I couldn't move forward as my 30 year old self and be integrated and well, if I didn't address what happened to me at 16 and something happened in my thirties, that was like, you aren't moving past this. Like this is stopping you in your tracks. I feel like that's happening collectively for us. The virus is that trauma. It's that incident. It's that accident that finds you flat on your back and you have no other choice, but to heal before anything moves forward, right? It's so mirrored right now. Like that collective is such what's happening to us as individuals. Yeah. And, you know, and this is why I hear a lot of people say, I don't understand why I'm feeling this way or I don't understand why, like I have, things are pretty good. I'm not, you know, hurting financially or, you know, I don't have kids in the house. Like why am I struggling to put one foot in front of the other? And I think we have to just really be kind with ourselves right now and each other to recognize there's just so much that's coming up that is ready to be dealt with, that is ready to be looked at. And, and it is a beautiful opportunity 
opportunity and we can push it away, we can resist it, and many people are. But I think, you know, we do, we have this opportunity to just feel it. it you know, I just, I, I guess the visual I get is like, over the years, we've just compacted down our traumas, our grief, our feelings, you know, compacted down, compacted down. The next layer, compacted down. We've got this really compacted, like, like feelings and emotional trauma inside of us. And we just have, like, I feel like all the layers are kind of unfolding, you know, for us to be able to actually integrate and remove, right, to, to function as very different people. And, you know, and I can really relate to this in my own life. Like, I've been a very emotional person and I've learned to integrate and I've learned, you know, like I've done a lot of work in my life and yet there's still aspects of grief that I haven't learned to effectively deal with. I mean, the loss of my mom is something that I'm... I feel like I'm constantly kind of like releasing a little bit here and there, like even randomly, like that happened to me today. I was, I did a silent retreat today and I, during the silent retreat, I was just laying there and then all of a sudden this wave of grief for my mom, you know, came up and, you know, she has been gone for years but at that time, I didn't really give myself permission to grieve. There was so much going on. I handled so many logistics at that time. And, you know, I had so much going on in my own life that I never really allowed myself to stop and and allow that. So it's like a little by little, you know, it comes up and ran, like all of a sudden I'm feeling something that's not even related to anything I was thinking about. And, oh, it's a great opportunity for me to just integrate some more of that grief. But I feel like the first step is really us allowing the grief to be there and allowing ourselves to feel whatever comes up and not resisting it and not trying to cover it up and not making it wrong. Because that's the other thing that I see a lot of people do is really make our feelings wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and it's one of those things that we can't go around it. You know, these are experiences in a rite of passage in humanity that we must go through these experiences. We must go through them. We're not around them. And, you know, if you think about times in your life that you avoided and avoided something that was really scary and really painful, but you finally did it, you know, you finally just let yourself sit with that emotion, feel those waves of grief. It wasn't easy to do it. And it, yes, was uncomfortable, but if you think about that somewhere in your life, you're going to remember that there was that point where you realized you were on the other side, that you had moved through the depths of that and that it hurt like hell, but yet you were so much more integrated, so much more trusting of yourself, so much more capable, you know, than you were when you were skirting it and trying to do all the detour. And it really is an invitation right now, collectively, that we are invited to walk through the grief and the discomfort and the pain that we've been all kind of putting off as citizens of the world. And now we're being asked to walk straight through. And we're all walking straight through together at the same time, which is really powerful because we are more resilient when we have shared experience. And this is what's really fascinating to watch, right? Is that there's something that behavioral psychology calls um, the tend and befriend response. And the fight flight response 
is the one we often talk about because it's the one that's our parasympathetic. We get, I mean, our sympathetic arousal, we're scared and we want to, we want to flee or fight. But they started realizing that when there is a, a collective threat for humans, which doesn't feel like an, an external threat, but it feels like something that the collective is like coming at the collective that they all can bond around to prevent. They don't go to stress. They don't go to fight flight. They go to the tend and befriend. They buffer each other. It's a stress buffering response that's in the human brain. It's in our biology. It's in our nervous system. And women often do it more, more often than men, which is interesting to think about like female leadership. Men are capable, but research shows that women often lead more. This is more likely to be our role in society. And so we actually have kindness, compassion, generosity. That's what you're starting to see. So if we were at war and there was a good guy and a bad guy and a good gal and a bad gal, right, then we would be more in our fight flight. But because we are collectively facing a virus, we're tending to go into the tend and befriend stress response and buffer our entire collective society from the threat. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's like we're so it's we're really these amazing yeah. creatures, right? Like I often think about how yeah, how resilient we are, right? How there's so many things that are built into our being that makes us capable of handling all things. And we just lose sight of it. Like we so often think we have to be more, do more, take more, get more education when really we we have so much capacity and capability built inside of us. Um, if we just honored that a lot more and, you know, respected that a lot more. And so I love all this new um, understanding we yeah. have of who Thank we goodness. actually are. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of this is anthropologists and sociologists and behavioral psychologists, like really starting to understand and see, you know, how we as a, as mammals, we are wired to co-regulate and we really will protect each other. Most of the time we will come into, you know, into a tribe. And unfortunately we do this when um, too often, like within a country, we're like, you're not on my team and you're, you know, because of the color of your skin or your class or we have all sorts of or your religion, like we'll divide each other up. But something as big as this, something that is a virus that no one understands is impacting everyone, regardless of the color of your skin or your race or your class, then everyone kind of gets in the same boat and they start realizing you know, oh, shoot, we need to work together. Now that that doesn't mean that you're not going to still see the cases of people in their fear that are still in fight, flight and hoarding and <laughs> doing all the yeah. things that they're like in their own boat. I mean, that's still going to happen. But for the majority, and what's really, I think, hopeful for me, it just feels so hopeful. And I'm like constantly just, I seek out the energetic beings that are tending and befriending. I mean, though that's the community that, I can choose to hang my hat with, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the, I think this piece, it really has brought so many more opportunities in a lot of ways, right? And and it carries with it some, some opportunities for us to integrate, opportunities for us to do something new, opportunities for us to more relate to ourselves. And yeah, I feel like it's like a cleaning house in a way, you know, in terms of the opportunity for space and the opportunity for integration and the opportunity to collectively work with our grief. Like, you know, this 
this is, I mean, unprecedented. Like when has there ever been this kind of push worldwide ever to collectively have to work with our grief and come together? I mean, there's never been this kind of event because like you said, you know, during the wars, which is probably where most people relate to it, it's always like one against the other. So we have an enemy, we're scared of the enemy, we're fighting the enemy. You know, it's a, it is a different thing, but you know, this would probably only come about if we were going to be destroyed by an asteroid or, you know, like aliens or like when, when else does he manage to come together in this kind of way um, and working together? Like, I think it's a really interesting, and that's, that is the, the care and you know even looking at social distancing you know you can you can hear a lot of people talk about it in um, a negative like there's some people who feel like we've had our freedom taken away and all of that stuff but what I see is that most people are choosing it's not that you have to like you could go out and do other things you go but we're choosing to socially distance to support our healthcare workers to support our frontline workers to support our you know elderly like it's a choice we're making it's not a disempowerment it's it's like how we're choosing to support others that we don't even know strangers and like that is what I find really cool and and I think you know it comes back to that choice that we have and how we frame things absolutely there's actually a meme going on around I was trying to track it to its source but someone had taken the word coronavirus have you seen it and then they um, scratch out the word letters so that all that's left is the it's on us um, or on us I guess it's like that it's on us it's on us so the idea, it's not on you, it's on us. And then it's um, got some beautiful languaging around compassion and kindness. And the hashtag is contain with kindness, contain with kindness. And that's, you know, the care. So, you know, when I chose a month over like a month ago now to just go ahead and start staying home, I still did have permission at that point. Restaurants in Austin were still open. Things were still kind of still going about their um, business, but I have friends in other parts of the country. I already knew what they were moving towards. And so I already started moving to, to just voluntarily self-isolate, not because of my own vulnerability, but because I was concerned that I might infect someone and not know that I was carrying it. I saw my parents like right before that. And then I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going to see you guys again because they're in a small isolated town where they might not come into contact. So, you know, that is the care where you don't isolate because the government's taken away my rights. I'm choosing to be kind to my fellow human beings. I don't know if I know I'm healthy, I feel good, but I don't actually know. I could be a carrier of the virus unbeknownst to me and then go visit someone who I then infect, right? So that, that care, is, it's such a different perception. And it feels really important to, to remember, like, are you choosing it out of that place of care and you're tending and befriending? Or are you in a place of fear and you're in fight, flight, each for their own kind of, you know, everything's, you know, paranoia and everything's out to get me. Yeah, that could be a whole podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not even just with this this topic. No, like, it's I think it's, everything. In life, it's right? everything. Like how do we usually respond to things, yes. right? It's really interesting. And it's your orientation, right? Are you coming yeah. from a place of fear? Are you coming from a place of love? And I think we have talked about this and how it relates to our business structures and what kind of guides us. But there's a lot more 
to explore there as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, even related to this topic, like I think one of the things that sometimes why we're coming from fear is because we just haven't integrated so much of our previous experiences. And that's the piece with this grief is that really what we're talking about is giving yourself permission and the opportunity to explore whatever grief you have. And and I think what I find interesting about grief, and you will probably know and can speak to this as well, but like I feel like grief does its work itself, right? It like, it will just come up, you'll cry, you'll feel it. Like, it's not like you have to figure it out or do anything with it. Like, it it is set on a course to integrate. But we stop it. We block it. We shove it down. We tamp it down. We ignore it. We, you know, run from it. And so it's really just us getting out of the way. It's not like we have to do anything with it. It's like we really just have to just get out of the way and let it do its thing. (laughs) Yes, which seems to be a common theme in all of our calls lately, right? Is this just get out of the way, let go, surrender, let things have their course and really trust in that process. So, yeah, I mean, that's what's really interesting about, um, you know, the world of somatic therapy, even that fascinated me is that our prefrontal cortex is the last part of our brain to have evolved in our human, you know, evolution. And yet it separates us from all the animals because we're so Mm. smart. We think we are. We're just so (laughs) smart. We have all this thinking brain, but it's the part of the brain that doesn't serve us well in times of fight, flight, or fleets, when we're under threat, that part shuts down and it's the primal brain that makes these, you know, instant decisions. And so it's really funny to me because I'm like, we just need to get the prefrontal brain out of the way sometimes and just (laughs) feel and let our, and trust all of the sensations and the energy, the wave of emotion and know that we can feel that and we're going to be okay on the other side. And like you said, I think for many people, it's even more painful right now if they haven't ever allowed that flow. They've never felt the grief. They've never just experienced, you know, how it moves up and gets intense and moves through and out. You've not experienced that, then you don't trust that it's going to be okay. And you're going to even be more kind of defended against it, I think. So. Yeah, well, and it makes it so much more painful. I think what we don't yet understand, right, and it's something I'm always trying to sort of support and teach my clients, well, is that that moment of intensity, if we allowed it to move through, it dissipates. But what happens is we hold it, like we resist it, we judge it, we, we do something that doesn't allow it to complete, And because it doesn't complete, it creates pain wave after pain wave after pain wave until finally we like, I don't know, like I think we have to eventually like explode or something in order to be able to get it out. But, you know, if we just allowed that natural emotion, anger, grief, you know, all that emotion just to move through and we didn't stop it, it's like it's gone so much more quickly. It dissipates so much more fast. You know, it's like we we would move beyond it. We would get to the sort of the point that we want, but instead we just like won't let ourselves get there. And so that intensity happens over and over and over and over again instead of just allowing Oh my goodness. And you know what that reminds me of? Mm. Childbirth. Yeah. Oh God, I know. (laughs) And it could be why women do have 
this trust because we embody that experience when we do birth our babies. Because for those of you that have you know experienced that moment where you think you can't go anymore, thank God for good midwives and doulas because like that is the moment where you do have to surrender and then and push like hell. It's like this very interesting place where you feel like you can't possibly move through this. And yet you have to go into it deeper. You can't run. You can't get away. It's like you just have to go right through the eye of the storm. But yet on that other side, the body completely releases and does its thing. And the muscles push that baby out. And you have that moment of relief and ecstasy and joy. So we actually are very fortunate as women that we, if you've had that experience with childbirth, that you felt it you know that you can do this because you've done it before in the physical form. I can still palpably feel it. (laughs) I can still like, you know, they say like you forget childbirth. I know. Like five years, like almost six, like, and I'm still, I could, I could tell you the moment that I felt that in that birth. Like, and it's so primal that's such an interesting metaphor, a relation. Because right. when you were saying, you're like the waves and the pain. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, I'm thinking about my childbirth. And it, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't mean that you as a woman have to have gone through childbirth or felt natural childbirth to know this. But if you have felt that moment in your life where you thought, and it could have been, this could be also that moment, you know, in your divorce or this moment when you lost a parent or your child, or I mean, that moment where you thought you could not actually ever open your eyes again, walk out of that bed, and you thought you wanted to crawl into the fetal position forever and die. That is the experience that's now important for you to remember and to lean on because it was that other side. And with my clients, very severe trauma, when we go into a explicit memory with narrative, and then they start to feel the implicit memory and the sensation and get overwhelmed, I will ask them, we'll just kind of pause that intensity. And I will say, I want you to remember when you felt safe. When was that first moment you knew you made it through that assault or made it through that trauma? And it's not to to take them out of it and be like, oh, let's wrap that up. But in order to work that pain, I remind them there was the release. So let's feel that then they're resourced. They go back into the pain again, remembering that there was a time in which they did find safety and that helps them unravel, unwind. So if anything in this grief and loss, we all have some experience where we found ourselves in that other side or sense of relief or safety. And that might be something important to remember and then allow yourself to feel what you're feeling in the midst of all of this that we're currently going through. Yeah, I love that. I often talk about it in terms of seesawing, right? You know, it's like in experiencing more of the intensity and then you know, releasing some of the intensity and experiencing the intensity. It's like, like, I feel like with grief, sometimes we need that as well. It's like a little bit of the intensity release. And then, yeah, the remembering that we're capable. Because I think sometimes grief does feel like dying almost, right? Like there is this, this feeling of how can I go on when I'm in the midst of grief? 
And we've all experienced that in so many ways. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this topic, because I feel like we've, a lot of times we just define grief as death, but that can even be an identity loss. Like a lot of my clients are sort of working through redefining themselves and letting go of old identities and they feel like they're going to die. You know, it's like there is this, this grief of losing something that you've been attached to, even if it's not a healthy identity. And so it can be that it can be loss of freedom. It can be loss of possibility can be loss of a dream, you know, and I think we've, we've got to redefine it so that we can really allow ourselves to experience grief in all those many, 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 many ways. So I hope that's what we've kind of helped people to recognize that, you know, to have more of a picture of grief, to realize we're all in this together. We all have some kind of grief we're navigating and just allow yourselves to process and move through it. Yes. Yes. And that I love the message of just remembering your capacity and being gentle with yourself because you, you've got this, you are a human being and your body is so wise and strong and so really trusting in ourselves and letting that full experience unfold so we get to the other side i love that all right well thank you all for joining us and we will see you next week If you have a service business, I can help. I know many of you are feeling fear, worry, or confusion about how to pivot your business and survive these times. I'm in my third decade of helping women navigate challenging business situations. These are unprecedented times and we need to think quickly, be creative, and stay strategic to navigate them and come through successfully on the other side. If you are struggling right now and need help, I can help you in one of my many coaching programs that have been developed for just this form of crisis. You don't have to do it alone. I can quickly help you look at where you need to put your attention so that you can financially remain stable. Go to sonyastatman.com or womeninthebusinessarena.com for support. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Women in the Business Arena. We'd love to welcome you into our community. Come join the Women in the Business Arena Facebook group. You can find the link in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about me and my work, you can find me at sonyastatman.com. See you next week.